This morning, we're continuing our study of the Gospel of John, and we see in this portion of John's Gospel the continued opposition of the Jewish leaders to Jesus. That they continually reveal their unbelief, that they are rejecting Jesus. And the theme of John chapter 9 is blindness. It's blindness. That a blind man is healed by Jesus and he is able to see things clearly, not just in the physical world, but he can see the truth about Jesus. But we also see the Jewish leaders who are blind to the truth of who Jesus is. That though they can see, they are blind. But this blind man is made to be able to see. So I'd encourage you, open up your Bibles or use the text in your bulletin. We're going to look at John chapter 9 today. It's another part where we're going to take a whole chapter together. John 9 verses 1 through 41. It's one continued story account of this blind man's healing. So let's turn to the Word of God, John chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but it is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Salome and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed And I see some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things, such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? 
he said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see your guilt remains. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have preserved your word by the Holy Spirit throughout the ages, that it is inspired by you, that it is your very breathed out word for us. 
and that it accomplishes all that it is meant to do. And it is without error, O God. And we pray, Lord, that your word would accomplish what you would have it to do today. That it would give sight to the blind. That it would give light to those in darkness. And that you would make yourself known to us. That we too would say we believe and worship you. I pray, O oh God, that you would use me in spite of my sinfulness to faithfully and clearly proclaim your word. And that you would give us open ears and open hearts and minds to understand and receive your word as what it truly is, the very word of God. And so work in us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So looking at this theme of blindness in chapter 9 today, I want us to first spend time looking at the blind man who is given sight and what it is he can then see. And then we're going to see the self-inflicted blindness of the religious leaders and finally consider what blindness looks like today. So we're starting by looking at the blind man. Chapter 9 starts there as well. And so we see the disciples in Jesus and they're walking along, maybe in Jerusalem, maybe somewhere else, we're not told, and they see a blind man. And like your young children who can't help but stare and ask impolite questions out loud, they ask Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, like many other people, the disciples often saw a direct connection between sin and suffering, that we suffer because of some particular sin. But Jesus corrects that misunderstanding. He says it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed. Now, suffering in general is a direct result of sin in the world, that there would be no suffering if there was no sin. But Jesus denies that every specific instance of suffering is tied to a specific sin. It can happen, but it is not the truth of all suffering. And in this case, he says, this man was born blind in order to display the works that, God, that Jesus was about to do. Now, the question of why God does allow suffering and to whom is a very important concept. So important, we're going to just set it aside for about a month until we get to the very beginning of chapter 11, where Jesus does a similar thing when Lazarus, his friend, is sick and he waits He does not go right away, but he allows suffering to happen for another purpose. We're going to pick up that idea in a few weeks in chapter 11. Today, I want us focusing just on this blindness. This man who was born blind and that Jesus came to heal him. He came to restore his sight and what that meant for this man. Notice the blind man doesn't even ask to be healed. He doesn't cry out like some of the other blind men in Scripture saying, have mercy on me. No, we don't read any of that. He's just there. He's something the disciples are talking about until Jesus decides to heal him. And he does so in, you know, a weird way also. That Jesus spits on the ground, this kind of clay dirt, and makes mud out of his spit. So not just mud, spit mud. And then he puts it on this guy's eyes. Like, I don't know if he went in the eyeball or eyelids or what. We're not quite sure. Like, was it a full mask? What was it? But it was on there. 
And we're kind of like, why are you doing this, Jesus? And, and I think the best guess for this is based on the words for work and mud or clay, it seems like Jesus is fulfilling Isaiah 64, verse 8. In that verse, it says this, We are the clay, and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. So the same word for mud or clay and work are found in there. And the idea is that Jesus is doing a work in this man. And that healing this man of his incurable blindness is no harder for Jesus than a skilled potter making something out of clay. That he just needs to rework it and he has the power to do this. Now, in the time it took for him to go and scrub the spitty mud off of him, Jesus and his disciples leave the scene. And so the man is left interacting with his neighbors who are skeptical that he has been healed. And we can understand that. The man tries to explain what happened to him, but he's explaining this all the while seeing the world for the very first time. It would have to be incredibly frustrating to like get to see everything for the first time and all people want to do is ask you dumb questions. But that's what's going on. And all this man knows is that this guy named Jesus made mud with his spit Put it on my eyes, I washed it off, and I can see. And so his neighbors essentially take him to the Pharisees, not with any nefarious purpose, but simply to be like, hey, this guy got healed. That's pretty cool, right, guys? This is good stuff. He spit on his eyes, but other than that, it's okay. You know? And these religious leaders do not rejoice in the healing. They don't seem the least bit excited in what has just happened. They don't see anything good in what has happened. They try to question the healing and discredit the healer. But the man who has been healed, he's not deterred. He's not bothered at all. Because more than anyone else in this story, this blind man knew something amazing had happened. He knew something unquestionably good had occurred. See, others couldn't appreciate it because blindness is a very personal thing in a sense. A blind person doesn't necessarily look all that different from anybody else. But when a blind man can see, everything is different to them. Everything in the world is different from their perspective. And so throughout this chapter, this man, everything is changing for him when everyone around him, nothing has changed for them. And so when he's questioned by the Pharisees, he is sharing just basic facts. Uh, mud on my eyes, washed it off, now I see. I've, I've told you that. He says Jesus must be a prophet because he was able to do this kind of stuff. Later, he's brought back in for further interrogation. And all he can say is, whether he's a sinner, I, I don't know. One thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. He doesn't know what to make of Jesus, but he knows something good has happened. And then the opposition increases, but he doesn't waver from this belief. He knows something has happened. He says, why, this is an amazing thing. That never before, never since the world began, has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. I mean, imagine this kid growing up. Mom, dad. Am I ever going to be able to see? 
Has anyone ever like me been healed and able to see? If you were him, wouldn't you ask and research and Google, can you be healed from being born blind? Has it ever happened? Does anybody know? He knows. Never. And yet now he's living proof it has happened because of Jesus. And saying this, saying simply what has happened, the Pharisees excommunicate him from the local synagogue. But the healed man still is seeking the truth. He will not speak ill of his healer. He knows he can see. He can see the truth of his miracle. And so Jesus finds the man. He introduces himself as the son of man. The one who would perfectly reveal the truth about God so God could be known. The healed man doesn't know anything else about Jesus, but he worships him. He believes in him. He can see clearly enough that Jesus should be honored because Jesus has done what only God can do. See, this man born blind was very familiar with not being able to see clearly. He was humble enough to know what he didn't know. But when Jesus opened his eyes to see physically and spiritually, he grabbed on to what he knew. He held fast to what he had known. It didn't matter that others were doubting him, that others were disparaging him. His eyes had been opened like never before, and he would walk in this light of Jesus that he had shown on him, knowing that Jesus was truly sent from God. And so this blind man can see. And all throughout this chapter, this man shines. And he shines the brighter because of the dark dullness of the religious leaders. The Jewish leaders reveal their own self-inflicted blindness in this chapter. They refuse to see the evidence right in front of them. See, unlike the man born blind, the Pharisees could actually see. They could look out at other people and see the truth. They could observe that this man regained his sight. But they couldn't piece together what any of this meant. Because they were so blinded by their own way of seeing things. So what was their way of seeing things? How did they inflict blindness upon themselves? Well, they were so certain that they were correct, they couldn't see where they were wrong. These religious leaders became so intoxicated by the power they had in the Jewish community, they had functionally made themselves gods, that they believed their judgment was always correct and that they were above questioning. And we see this all throughout their heartless interrogation of the man. We see their commitment to their own power. Notice how they try to protect their own power. That when the Pharisees are questioning the healed man's parents, the couple's afraid to talk about Jesus. Because the Jews had agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. These leaders had already identified Jesus as a threat to their power and they proactively suppressed any support for Jesus. And they did so because they had the power to do that. They controlled membership in the synagogues. But they cannot see that they are punishing belief in the promised Messiah in order to protect their own power. Notice how the Pharisees also make people parrot their own power. 
the healed man is called back in before the leaders and he is told, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Now the phrase, give glory to God, is the biblical version of, we know the truth. Time to tell us. All right, they already told us everything, so you just, just it, all you need to do is tell us what we want to know. That's what give glory to God essentially means in this context. They are trying to force this man to agree with their verdict. They want to hear him say that the man who healed him is a sinner. Because they cannot have this man praising Jesus. He must parrot their position and power. But they cannot see that they are stealing glory from God by silencing His rightful praise. They're blind. They are blind. In order to continue holding this power, the Pharisees also have to position their power. They align themselves with Moses in verses 28 and 29. They say, we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, who know, we don't know where he comes from. They are implying, hey, Moses is with us. Moses would be on our side. So if you take this guy's side, you are against Moses. But they cannot see that the very law of Moses testifies that Jesus is the Messiah. They're just blind. And the last ugly image we get of the blind Pharisees is how they posture their power. That after the healed man explains why he believes in Jesus, they respond with this just venom in verse 34. You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? How could this guy teach these brilliant scholars? And later, overhearing Jesus talk to the healed man, the Pharisees ask, are we also blind? The emphasis is on also, showing that they, they're like, we don't also with those people. We are different from those people. They don't know anything. We know stuff. They would never group themselves with these people but they cannot see the Messiah came to humble the proud and lift up the outcast. As we look at their self-inflicted blindness, we should ask, how did they get to this point? Why couldn't they see Jesus right in front of them? And we're given a hint in verse 16 where their opposition sets in motion, where they say, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. That Jesus healed the blind man on the Sabbath and he had done so oh, by making mud. Do you notice that right before Jesus makes mud in verses 3 and 4, he uses the word work four times. It's as if Jesus knew what he was doing. That he was intentionally breaking their understanding of the Sabbath rules. Trying to show that God is always at work, even on the Sabbath. For who could have healed this blind man if not God? That all, are, all must refrain from working on the Sabbath except God. Should they not have seen that the very God whose laws they claimed to obey was displaying His work right before them? 
The Pharisees failed to see what God is doing because they suffered from spiritual blindness of their sin. And it is a condition only God could correct. And with that in mind, as people who are religious people, perhaps if you're here this morning worshiping God, we need to consider what does spiritual blindness look like today? That if people who believed they were so devoutly following God could not literally recognize the Son of God right in front of them, we need to be thinking, what does blindness look like today? In reading John Calvin's commentary on this, it's not all that surprising that he connected the spiritual blindness to the corrupt and power-hungry Roman Catholic Church that was attacking and suppressing the Protestant Reformation with great fury. Oh, I can see how that connects. Okay, but, but where is spiritual blindness seen in our world today? What form does it take and how does it re- reject the truth of Jesus Christ? I would argue that the most common form of spiritual blindness is not found in institutional power like the Pharisees or the Roman Catholic Church. That spiritual blindness is found in those who grasp onto individual power. We can idolize institutional power, especially if we have some of it. But more people suffer self-inflicted blindness because they idolize self-determining power. Self-determining power. Those are a lot of big words and stuff. But what essentially I mean is that people blind themselves to God's truth because they want to be the power and authority for themselves. They want to be the authority in their own life. They don't necessarily need to be the authority over other people's, but they sure want to be authority over themselves. Consider how this modern attitude comes out in ways a lot like the Pharisees. Just as the Pharisees protected their power, so people today build defenses against those who would tell them they are wrong. If someone tries to challenge us or someone tries to challenge anyone really today, challenge your opinions or how you're living Odds are your relationship with them is going to wither and die. People avoid voices that tell them they should change unless they have actively sought out that voice and approve of the changes that you are suggesting. And so we protect and build defenses against any other voices. And just as the Pharisees wanted people to parrot their power, so people today seek voices that will tell them what they want to hear. We not only want to be protected from critical voices, we want to be surrounded by affirming voices, reaffirming that we do have the power to determine for ourselves how we want to live, reassuring us we have chosen the right way, good for you. We want to hear that. And just as the Pharisees position their power with Moses, so people today align with groups that stand for what they believe in. Whether it's equality, diversity, whether it's liberty, family values. We position our power in such a way 
that to challenge us and our views and choices is to challenge this broader movement or bigger idea that everyone has to agree is a good thing. And this leaves us doing just what the Pharisees do. Posturing our power over others. That people today posture their self-determining power by defiantly asking, who are you to tell me that I'm doing something wrong? They will not accept that other people could know truth that corrects their fundamental understanding of themselves in the world. That they are certain they know what is right and what is best for themselves. And that, I believe, is what spiritual blindness looks like today. It is a fulfillment of the Proverbs. Proverbs 26.12 says, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is no more hope for a fool than for him. When we start from a position of thinking we see clearly, we know the truth, we are in danger of blinding ourselves to the truth outside of us. Again, consider what the Pharisees were missing when they rejected Jesus. Standing before them was the very fulfillment of the promises they longed to see fulfilled. But they couldn't see it because they were blinded by their own desire for power. What if people today, by insisting that they know what is right for themselves, are rejecting the very things they want? The key to equality, diversity, liberty, family values, love, identity, community. What if Christ is the answer for all of those things we're seeking? And we can't see He's the answer. So what is the answer for those who are spiritually blind? What hope do we have? Our hope is to humble ourselves before the light of the world who came to do the works of God. And our hope is that the night that Jesus is talking about ended in a sense when he left, but the Spirit has come and working through the Word of God, Jesus continues to open the eyes of the spiritually blind today that we can see the truth of God. And so if you're out there and you have eyes to see, if you have seen the truth of Jesus Christ, that He is the Son of God and is worthy of your worship, seek that truth more and more every day. Humbly bow down before the Lord and set aside your resources, your assumptions, your beliefs, and say, Lord, correct me where I am wrong. Let the Bible be your glasses to see the world rightly. And then in the face of whatever opposition you face, saying, that's ridiculous. Hold fast to what you know because of Jesus. That there was a time when you were blind. But now you see. That there was a time when you were lost. But now you've been found. That's all because of Jesus. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank You for Your Word and speaking truth to us and shining like a light in our darkness. Open our minds, O God. Spirit, work through the power of Your Word to show us the truth. We pray, O God, that we would not, like the Pharisees, posture ourselves by looking down on those who do not know the truth of Jesus. Jesus. 
May we not have that kind of pride over others, but may we remember our own blindness and that we only see because of your grace. And may we humbly share the truth, holding fast in the face of opposition and praying that you, O Lord, would open the eyes of those who are blind and cannot see, that they would see you for who you truly are and join together with all of us in worshiping you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.